This episode contains several swears. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, talking about the podcast that keeps making it. I'm Sarah Gailey. Holy shit. And today I am, I have the immense pleasure and honor of uh, speaking with a podcaster who is currently at the top of the game in the podcasts about trunked stories and authors' creative processes in SFF world, uh, Hillary. Ah, it's me. Hi. <laughs> I am so excited to be talking to you today about your incredible podcast. You have built a one person, one podcast empire. Um, <laughs> this is the 100th episode of Tales from the Trunk. You are four and a half years in. You are approaching 10 thousand downloads you have had 70 guests 71 or 72 depending on whether you count Faye and Celie yep <laughs> and I'm so excited to get to be here uh taking over your shit and talking to you about it today <laughs> yeah thank you so much for like I I was literally panicking over like for for two months I've been like oh shit September is my 100th episode. I need to come up with something. I need to do something. And then I think... So I... I, uh, Today, when we are recording the 99th episode, uh, a book tour with our good friend Other Sarah, Sarah Hollowell, has just come out. And when we got on the call to record that, like, two weeks ago, I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, you should talk to other Sarah. You should say, hey, other Sarah, you want to, you want to just like do a thing for this? And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And so I just, you know, texted you and you're like, hell yeah, I would. Of course. I mean, I (laughs) frankly, uh, it it kind of feels as if you had said, hey, do you want to inhale and then exhale again for the rest of your life it's like yeah absolutely there's no question in my mind this is a an automatic absolutely and i'm honored to be the person who gets to share this episode with you yeah Um, i mean i'm i'm not finishing the podcast here but like i can't imagine like a hundred is a big number we we can all agree on that that's like two orders of magnitude more than one i gotta say in my mind and i don't mean quantitatively i mean qualitatively 100 is the biggest number you know i'm a i'll I'll agree with you on that 100 is in fact the biggest number but like you were my first guest so like how could i not like we are the alpha and the omega we are the alpha verse and the omega verse (laughs) we Uh, we are we are going to um we're going to put a beautiful biggest number 
bow on this and even as this podcast continues into the thousands which some would say are bigger than the hundreds um i think that this will remain the biggest episode yet so i want to i want to take us back all the way to the very beginning um you had the idea for this podcast all the way back in 2019 and even before even before you uh started recording I remember us talking about this concept and I want to know your thoughts on where this idea came from, how it incubated, um, how you sat on it like a little egg until it was ready to hatch. Tell us the beginning. So I've always been, I mean, like I've always been writing. I will always have been be writing. I've always been writing. No, that was good. That was good the second way you said it. Yeah. Uh, and like part of something that I've always been really interested in is like this idea of like, where did other writers come from? And so my initial thought had been like, Hey, it would be really cool if there were a show where we could, where someone got, uh, you know, fancy ass writers to come on and, read some of their earliest writing and then like just talk about shit out of that uh and i i pitched that and you were like hillary bud nobody knows who you are really and that's gonna be a tough sell and i was like yeah that's true that's true and then you said but what if I read something from my trunk? Because I'd fucking love to do that. Uh, and I was like, actually, you know what? That sounds even better. And uh, that was in, God, that was probably in the group chat in like late January of 2019. And then suddenly in March, I was launching a new podcast. You took this from early concept and i by the way i would in my own defense like to say i did not say nobody knows who you are that's that true. Is a very mean thing to say <laughs> i believe what i said was this may be a tough pitch yes yes that is true that is true that would that was think... my own i i should be kinder to myself you said you are not yet big beans you are just small beans and that is okay all beans are good I I think that everyone knows who you are and has always known who you are inside their hearts. They just may have been unfamiliar with you as a brand new podcaster. Yes, yes. But that that is there is no such thing as a small smaller unimportant person, especially not you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I I will not accept uh, mean <laughs> things being said to my friend in my voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let let the record be corrected. For every other time I've told this story to anybody ever, uh, and especially on this podcast, uh, so, I, I have never I have never meant to uh, impugn your your view of me or anybody else. So, what did you love about the idea of inviting people to read stories that they have set aside into the abyss of unpublishability? <laughs> What excited you about that enough to make it the name and basis of your podcast? A, a lot of it is I have so many... I should have pulled this up before we 
got going, but uh, I've got like 50 or 60 trumped stories sitting in my Dropbox. And like, I, I haven't been, I haven't been as active in the writing new stories front in the last couple of years for I don't know what reason. Couldn't possibly be anything going on in the world making creativity hard. Uh, but, you know, I, I, for, I would say almost a decade and a half was actively submitting stories, uh, like pretty consistently, not, not so consistently in the beginning. And, and like when I was in college, it was kind of hard to do, but like from 2011 through to probably 2018 would have been like my peak years where I was just constantly writing new things and submitting things and submitting them and submitting them and submitting them and submitting them and running into the place where it was like, okay, either I just haven't found the right market for this or it's not doing something quite the way I want it to or in some cases just I don't stand by the story anymore. Uh, and I really, like, there's back in back on writer Twitter of old, uh, Rip, we, you know, there was, there were some people who were, would be talking about what they were writing and all the submissions and rejections they were, were dealing with, but there was very rarely any talk of actually like trunking stories or really any talk around like why do we trunk stories other than I feel like Mary Robinette Kowal had some essay about ultimately stepping back from a story but that was like you know one she's great two that's like one person out of a field of thousands of people and I really just wanted to I'm nosy. I'm really nosy and I wanted to know what was in other people's trunks. And this was the easiest way to do it. And I thought that there would be a lot of really interesting... Ma'am. Excuse me. Feifei wanted to be on the podcast and possibly try to turn off my battery backup. That's extraordinarily helpful of her. Extraordinarily helpful of her. Uh, but I... I really wanted to know what was in other people's trunks, and I thought this would be a really good way to do it, especially because I was already friends with a lot of writers. So, like, you know, it it, it just seemed like... And I, and I grew up on radio. I grew up, you know, listening to NPR and, like, that... And, and, and from there into the realm of listening to podcasts just endlessly. And so it was just like kind of this natural thing of like, I want to try this out. It's a pretty low investment, uh, like low cost of entry to get into podcasting, especially if you're just doing a like two people in a microphone style podcast. And I went for it. And, like, and I had the help of, like, 
you and other Sarah and my friend Robin and Kate Leckler and just like a whole host of amazing people who stepped up and said, yeah, I'll be on this podcast that's brand new. You are exactly the right person to be hosting a podcast that celebrates something that I think is incorrectly maligned in the world of writers. We have a tendency to act like trunking a story is the same as, you know, locking your unwanted child in the attic with a bucket of fish heads and mm -hmm. saying, I have failed so severely that I have to give up. But trunking stories is such a normal part of creative development as a writer. The stories that that I've trunked because I realized, oh, this this story, the only way for this story to go is a way that is not mine to tell. Mm -hmm. Those stories still help me develop as a writer and the opportunity to talk about them, not as a horrible failing or mistake on my part, but as, as a learning experience and valid, I found to be so thrilling the first time that I was on the podcast. Right. And every single time you announce a new guest, I'm like, I'm dying to know what this person <laughs> learned and how they grew from the thing that they had to walk away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like... So I, I've talked about this a million times before, approximately, but, like, I went to college and got a degree in creative writing, which is totally not a thing that you need to do to be a writer. But it was the thing that, like... It was the thing that got me excited about education and, like, got me engaged in, and, and like also, you know, higher education as a, a necessity for everything, like fuck that idea. But like, you know, in, in the early aughts especially, that for people of a certain socioeconomic standing, like that's what you did, and it was the thing that I could do to get myself out of the house and, like, get myself moving. But throughout the four years of that program, which I adored so many parts of it, we never talked about things like... We never talked about trunking stories. Only one of my professors really talked about even submitting stories. You know, the phrase kill your darlings was just kind of like tossed around as like you know delete your art type thing and it it's a thing that i found really lacking even as i said previously like in the uh in the conversations happening on writer twitter in the conversations happening elsewhere in the writing communities uh, that, like, you know, me and me and my writing group would talk about trunking things sometimes, but, like, it wasn't, it wasn't something being widely discussed, and, and that felt like uh, a real lack in terms of, like, this is an important thing to talk about and to normalize talking about and to make it, like, because writing is so lonely and such a hard thing to do, that this was a thing that would make it to some extent easier and hopefully like, you know, hopefully find somebody 
like all through college, I was listening to Writing Excuses, great podcast, love them. And like, you know, kind of my hope is like that college freshmen now are interested in writing and might hear about my podcast and listen to it and get like, get those things from it that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise get. And that's so much part of the the community approach that you take to writing of normalization and a movement away from the hustle culture that mm -hmm. I think we were pretty deep in when we oh were first God. in the trenches together in like 2016. Yeah. <laughs> it's very like, hey, write, submit, write, submit, do it over and over again until you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you, I think, really, uh, with incredible compassion and kindness, push us as a culture away from that in a way that I think is incredibly healing to the writing community as a whole. Sarah, I'm cry. Good. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that I have successfully bullied you into tears... <laughs> on this podcast, which is <laughs> why I came on today. Um, I want to dive into the development. You you made this happen so fast. Everyone else <laughs> who I know who is like, I think I might start a podcast. Um, they say that for like three to six years. Right. And say it to all of their friends about like 100 <laughs> different subjects because they're sort of just trying to come up with something to do to visit mm -hmm. by themselves. And the difference between you and most other people is that you approach things with a real sense of intention and purpose. You don't say, I want to do a podcast, so I'm going to come up with something. You say, I want to do a podcast and it's going to serve this function in the community and, and have this direction. And even still, I had expected a six to nine month lead time as you developed <laughs> the idea. And instead it was like 20 minutes before you were like, my first episode's almost ready. Yeah. Um, tell me about what it was like for you to execute, to make this happen, um, and to go from the first thought to the first episode at the speed of light. Yeah. Uh, so I have this cool thing. It's called autism. <laughs> uh, and it means that I cannot be chill about things if I care about them. Which is, like, a blessing and a curse, but it was so easy to turn my hyper-focus on to podcast and, like, just sort of, like, ideas started popping off in my brain and I, like, I immediately knew that one of my good, good college friends, I immediately knew, like, oh, she'll do, she'll be able to execute on, uh, like, my word salad concept for a logo quickly and make it look incredible, which she did. Hannah Russell, incredible job, incredible artist, uh, turn, like, I, I messaged her on Facebook and was like, hey, I've got this idea. And like an hour later, 
uh, because our, our brains both work in similar ways, she had sent me a concept sketch that, like, turned into what the logo is in a matter of several days. And, like, you know, we, we had been talking about this and, like, mulling over ideas in the group chat and... So I was immediately like, okay, well, I, I didn't have the idea of doing book tour stuff yet, which, like, we'll, we'll get to in a, in a little while, but, like, this episode was going to come out, like, right before Magic for Liars. So... <laughs> you just sent me into such a time war. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so wild. I just did this to other Sarah, reminding her about uh, the story that she read on our second episode. So, it's it's fitting Woof. that I the can just break... The passage of time just hit me like <laughs> a ton of bricks. Time is fake. Oh, uh, it feels way like, too real. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, okay... I'm gonna ask you to be on this and to be my first guest. Um, and then immediately asked other Sarah, hey, do you also want to come on and do this? And then asked uh, my friend R.K. Duncan, who I've been friends with since, like, literally six ever. Like, mm, since... Since the years started with 19. Oof. Yeah, yeah. different century. Diff different century, different millennium. Uh, but so I was immediately like, okay, well, I've got three people. Like, th record three episodes, have a three-episode buffer is just sort of, like, widely, like, you know, that's that's a good idea to do. And it's a, a worthy thing that I am no longer physically, mentally, or emotionally <laughs> capable of. <laughs> we are we are recording this a week and a half before it releases. I have done turnarounds as tight as, like, four days now. Uh, because time is fake and meaningless and yet marches on inexorably. Uh, but I was just like, you know, I've got three people. They're all cool people who I had I had never actually talked like voice to voice with other Sarah before in my life, but we knew each other in person. Me and and Robin knew each other in person, and that was enough for me to be like, these three people have the vibes to launch this show. This is gonna be great. And, like, borrowed a USB microphone from my old job and, like, installed Audacity on my computer and, like, one night when I was home at, at, at my apartment by myself, like, went around opening and closing doors and trunks and other things to figure out what made the best 
sound and like did some foley and did the original the like it just little trunk creak and then some pages turning sound that was the the introduction for the show initially and it was just like okay i'm i'm doing it i'm doing it because like my thing was if i didn't jump in i would just endlessly be like oh it's not ready yet you know and it's, it's, it's the same thing like we've been there with stories where you can endlessly fiddle with the thing and then it never comes out mm-hmm. or you can just fucking do it and like um lillian boyd you you know her right i am aware of her work yeah yeah uh, she she says this thing sometimes of I'm gonna say a thing and see if it's true. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes. Same same thing of like I'm I'm gonna do a podcast and see if it works and if it's a thing that like if it's a thing that I enjoy and if it's a thing that I enjoy then I don't care what else happens with it. It would be awesome for a million people to listen to it. It would be uh, pants shittingly terrifying for it to hit like podcast charts or anything like that but like i'm doing it because i enjoy it you know and you're the way that you do this podcast um sustains other writers too yeah which again you have a very you have an incredible mindset toward community and so instead of approaching this as hey this is the hillary hour in which (laughs) hillary is dancing and goofing and you know manifesting um attention right Mm -hmm. you're not you're not using this podcast to build a spotlight for yourself to fill with yourself which is what becomes exhausting for so many people trying to continue to produce that content instead you're pointing at the creators around you and making it a, a we instead of an i in a way that has carried you to 100 fucking episodes yeah yeah, and like, I don't. So I I grew up in like fandom spaces. Like I was kid in tow to World Cons. One of my earliest memories is going to uh, the nineteen ninety two World Con in Orlando, uh, and uh, like every every like domestic world con in driving distance when i was growing up i like my parents took me to and i would mostly just kind of like wander around the dealer's room or whatever uh and like trade off between my parents while they went and you know did boring adult things like go to panels and whatever but uh which i now love boring adult things like panels and whatever because I'm a boring adult but like it was always this thing of like this is a community and like this understanding of like you know this is this is a thing that brings people together and this is a thing that like my dad has honest to god pen pals like writes to them with his typewriter, postal e- 
postal mails letters to them who he's known in fandom spaces since before I was born. Like, you know, gets old school print zines in the mail sort of thing. And like, that... As people who grew up in the 90s, we remember a time before Twitter, for instance. And I remember joining Twitter mostly because I was hearing, like, oh, this is where writers are now. And wanting to participate in those spaces and understanding that participation in those spaces has always been a collective effort and like a really um it's about communal creation right like the whole thing like the whole thing of fan culture is we have fanzines we have fan casts we have fan art we have all this shit we have fan writers some of whom win hugos for instance um and like that is something that the science fiction fantasy fandom really holds tight to because it understands like you know yes there are there are people in the space who you know have made millions of dollars and have movies made of their shit and whatever and like, attract huge crowds with them wherever they go, but, like, ultimately, writers are all just weird little guys who thrive in the company of other weird little guys and and love to make things together. And I don't remember what the question was anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that writers are ultimately weird little guys who like to be around other weird little guys who like to make things together is the perfect answer to most questions. <laughs> so I think we still nailed it. Um, let's Excellent. let's move forward a little bit in the history of the podcast. Yeah. You had your first episode come out on Friday, March 15th, 2019. Sounds fake. Um, <laughs> it is so long ago. Uh, and I think that we have a, a an audio clip that we can share yeah. of that first episode. Yeah, that's, uh, let me, let me just cue that up right now. Again, huge fucking shout out to Fireside who, you know, they published Haunted, um, which was a very early short story of mine. Mm -hmm. That was the short story that got me noticed by the person who is now my agent, who has like guided and mentored me and made me into the writer I am now and I just will never forget the process of working on that story with them feeling like I was being treated the way you dream of being treated by an editor you know I was being talked to as if I am smart and know things about my writing and mm -hmm. it was collaborative and kind just across the board kind and they've only gotten better since yeah that's fantastic and I think I think that's something something I really want to stress and that I think you bring out beautifully is like you want to just be a person. Yeah. If and if you're a person then other people will be a person back to you 
and it's mm-hmm. not you know you don't have to be you know a multi award nominated author to be treated well and you don't have to be that to expect to be treated well by editors and by writing peers and in general like in general you want to be treated like a human being and if you're not being treated like a human being then you should you know maybe reevaluate what's going on there and try to find people who are kind to you absolutely and i mean first of all this is something that i love about the the genre short fiction community mm-hmm. is how excited everyone is for each other and and how often people treat each other like human beings i will also say that being treated like a human being goes both directions in terms of like where someone is on the very wide staircase of literary success. Mm-hmm. I say very wide staircase instead of ladder because there's room for all of us on like every step. Yeah. But, you know, as something that someone said to me a long time ago is that you should watch out for how people treat you when you're in power because that's how they expect you to treat them when they're in power. Mm-hmm. And there are people who will see the amount of success that I've had and take that as a reason to stop treating me like a person. And, you know, instead they're treating me like like an avatar of writing, mm-hmm. which is, A, wild to me because I am, listen, guys, I'm not, no, no. <laughs> but also because it's like, those are the same people who I think if I was just starting out would probably be unkind. Mm-hmm. It's just such a signpost if someone is treating someone else in this community or any community as if their worth as a human being is based solely on their level of success, they're not someone who I ever want to work with. Wow, what an episode that was. <laughs> that was an episode from from the before times. So hearing that, that is, by the way, your most downloaded episode to date. Wild. Um, what, what has changed and grown in the way that you approach recording from that first episode? Um, Obviously not the guest. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so here's the thing. Both surprisingly little and everything. Um, How like life? It's, yeah. Like the most of the stuff has been pretty much the same in terms of the mechanics since I started. The only like... I started out doing it on Google Meet because at that time Google Meet was free and uh, I wasn't worried about getting audio recordings over that. Uh, And Well, this was before Zoom rose to dominance. uh, And that, um, yeah. In the biggest fumble of Skype's life. Incredible. Incredible that that happened. I mean, Skype audio sounds like garbage, so, you know, understandable, but also, like... But yeah, like, the the mechanics basically have always been two people in front of computers, hopefully with Audacity open, sometimes that's not available, uh, and now Zoom doing an audio backup as well, uh, which has saved my bacon on more than one occasion since I started doing that. <laughs> but then like and like the preparatory material i send out is pretty much exactly the same as it was to the the things that i sent you for that first episode but then like my 
editing process on the back end has gotten so much faster and so much better. And I think one of the biggest things there is I'm not obsessed with this show being perfect anymore. Like, you listen to those first episodes and it would take me three hours to do a one-hour episode. And in those three hours, I would be cutting out every um, every, like, slightly long breath, anything like that. Just, like, trim it down, maximize it, you know, optimize whatever. And then I would listen to the whole thing again another time, handwrite out my notes, and then type them in, and then do all the hyperlinking, and it would take like five hours to produce an episode, not even counting the recording time. And at some point I realized you can just type the notes in on your computer while you're editing, and, and this is like the best trick there is. If you use Google Docs, if you're writing up notes in Google Docs, you can highlight a thing, press the, you know, control K, command K, whatever, to create a hyperlink in Google Docs. It will bring up a, a search bar for you so that you can just search for the link you want instead of having to open a separate page, do some Googling, copy the link, paste it in. Like, so it, it went from five hours for one episode to about two, two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, even just the this lens into what goes into the production process on a podcast that strives to serve listeners is incredible. The The work you put into your show notes is far and beyond the standard and the norm. Mm-hmm. And, and that shows and giving some transparency to the time and effort that that takes, especially when you're just starting out, is also, I think, uh, valuable both to people who want a chance to appreciate what you do and to people who are considering doing this themselves. It's a heavy lift. It's, it's not a, a small project yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, like, and like the other thing, you know, it's it's still a show where I get most of my guests by just texting or DMing my friends and saying, hey, do you want to come on? But also, like, there's so much more um, forethought in terms of, like, tracking releases. And now I talk to publicists, which is a thing that happens that is is frankly wild to me. Uh, and, you know, like... This sounds gross to say it, but using my network... Like, I I hate the way those words feel in my mouth, but, like, and hate, I don't want any of my writing friends to think that they are my network or that that is their primary purpose by any means, because it is not, and that's disgusting. But, like, it's hard to operate in capitalism without going to that shorthand sometimes. But of, like, being able to 
like Chuck Tingle. I had Chuck Tingle on the show. I had Chuck Tingle on the show partly because I was like, well, shit, Chuck has a novel coming out. There's no better time, I think, to try to shoot my shot on this. And, like, you know, at some point you just have to kind of suck it up and, and try. And then when I actually, like, went through and looked at, to see, like, okay, how do I get in touch with Chuck? I looked up and he shares a publicist with you. And I was like, well, shit, this makes it, like, 90 million times easier, which is a smaller number than 100. Because I have this, like, I have already spoken with you, emailed with your publicist in the past. And your publicist knows who I am and know, like, from a professional standpoint can say, you know, yes, this is something that I think will be helpful for Chuck, that I think will be helpful for you, that I think will be you know, a good marketing decision. Which is, like, a wild thing to be thinking about, but, like, if you're a publicist, that's what your job is, I think. I assume. But, like, it, you know, it is me calling up my friends, but it's also, like, knowing who to talk to and knowing who to, like... Like, I... The first time I had a... Uh, uh, person who I did not know on the show, uh, which was episode 12 with uh, KB Wagers. I had never met or talked to KB Wagers before. Like, Katie was a totally unknown personage to me, but I was, I had been kind of like casting about because I, after starting up the show, I'd gotten through to about October in terms of how many guests I, like, knew and could get. And I was, it was coming up towards the end of the year, and I was like, oh, I, I need, I need some more guests. I need something. And good friend of the show, Valerie Valdez, was like, hey, I think Katie would be a good fit for your show. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, Val, Val made that connection, and now Katie is a good friend. But, like, there was, there was a moment of, like, okay, I'm getting on a call with basically a total stranger. Like, you're friends with my friend. But, like, I have social anxiety. And, like, the only reason I could do that was... I think in large part because of being in this community and knowing already that writers are just weird little guys who like to do weird little things with other weird little guys. And, like, knowing, like, what, in 2019 you were already uh, Hugo Award winning fan writer, already author of River of Teeth, uh, had your tour debut coming out very shortly debut novel like when i when i talk to people about this podcast in like random other 
contexts and list off people I've had before on the show. And I say like, oh yeah, and I've I've had Sarah Gailey on before. They're always like, holy shit, you've had Sarah Gailey on? And in my mind, I'm like, well, yeah, they're cool. They're awesome. And they're my friend. They're just a weird little guy who likes doing weird little things with weird little guys. Yeah. Like, that is, like, the whole thing, you know, was, yeah, you're you're a big fucking deal. But also, like, you're just a weird little guy. And, remember, like, being able to remember that and being like, okay, well, Katie's probably also just a weird little guy. And, like, just go from there. I think that you're hitting on one of the, one of, like, the secret obstacles of this kind of creative endeavor. I have this with my newsletter, too, where inviting friends on feels like hanging out with friends. Mm -hmm. And inviting strangers on, there's this point, there's this, like, delicious shift that happens where at first inviting strangers on feels like you are asking those strangers for a favor. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you develop enough of enough confidence in what you're doing and enough of a following and enough of an audience that you inviting someone else on represents you offering to do them a favor. It represents mm-hmm. you saying, you know, if this was six months ago, I'd be asking you to do something for me, but now I'm saying I can do something for you. And that ability to to bring something that you know for sure you feel confident you're offering someone else something Mm -hmm. that will be useful to them makes it a lot less scary to say will you come hang out with me yeah well can can we play together at my house is a lot less scary when it's followed by because i have a new toy that i know that you will (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel this in my very bones i still break out in a full body sweat whenever i have to pitch someone who i don't know on coming on the newsletter yeah. every time. So yeah. you started this out. Um, I don't want to get I don't want to get too deep into our special guests just yet. Um, oh, yeah. Because I want to know how that first episode landed. What was what do you remember about the reception? What were the highlights? My most of my re- recollection was like day one watching number go up like love when number go up we love when number go up being a writer like the thing they don't tell you when you start being a writer is that being a writer means number go up like you're gonna watch number go up a lot that's you know number of days that you have gone without hearing a peep from this market number of rejections you've gotten like all of those things number go up and like when i've had stories published i don't see number go up right like that's basically invisible up until especially like short stories you just get a flat fee you know you you get x many cents per word or whatever else like you know until you earn out, you don't see number go up with, you know, your advance when you earn out your advance and then you get royalties. Number go up, but that's once a quarter and, like, all that. But, like, podcast, number go up. 
and you can watch in real time number go up. Delicious. It's amazing. And then it's also like, you know, I mean, this was, again, 2019, heyday of writer Twitter still. Uh, like, seeing tweets happen and seeing, like, I, I, I'm going to say a thing that feels slightly gross to me, but I wanted to have you specifically on the first episode because I was like, you are the biggest name I know, and I want this to, like, make as big of a splash as possible. And, like, I mean, I knew no matter who I had on that I could count on you to support me in this and to retweet my shit. But, like, to have you retweet it and be like, hey, also, this is me. Like, that felt really cool, and it also feels like a skeevy white man thing to say. No, I mean, I think you approached that with the exact right promotional strategy, right? You, you, And I do this, too, with the newsletter, and it always feels... Um, gross to say out loud, but like really just normal to think, which is you mm-hmm. want the right balance of people who can attract visibility and people who can benefit from visibility. If you're only mm-hmm. bringing people in who will attract eyeballs, then you're not really doing anyone any good with your project. And if you only bring in people who need eyeballs, then you're all going to be staring at each other. Right. Um, and that back in 2019, baby, that was still the days when people saw my tweets. Mm-hmm. That was back before the algorithm and my constant slow fade into the bushes away from Twitter uh, were repressing uh, my visibility. And so I remember when you said that you wanted me to be on the first episode, being very touched and honored and feeling incredibly uh, warm, fuzzy feelings about being invited and also being like, oh, good, this means that we can kick this thing off with a bunch of online yeah. eyeballs and the number will go up. I want the number to go up, too. Man, remember <laughs> online? Oh, remember back when online? I remember I back days. when online. Good days. So, I mean, they sucked also, but like, online. 2019 was really the hinge of suck for me. Yeah. Uh, when it went from online is so much fun to online is so bad. Uh, but let's let's stay in that golden era yeah. for a little bit. You, uh, as you got deeper into the podcast, you decided to crank things up a little bit and you went from your homebrewed fully to having a commissioned theme, which debuted yeah. on episode 17, which starred Merck Fenn Wolfmore sharing their story when dreams like fire spread. Yeah, I... So, um, Lillian Boyd, you've, you've heard of her, right? I'm familiar with her work yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we've, we've mentioned her once, once or twice on the show before, uh, had this podcast, uh, called Rank and Vile, uh, where she and her buddy would, would, and sometimes other guests attempted to, uh, the, the dubious task of, of ranking every single horror movie in existence, they got uh, up to 500. Yeah, amazing, incredible. Vital work. Uh, and 
the during during the run of that show there were at least two different theme songs both of which fucked severely and the thing about both of those theme songs is that Lillian wrote them and Lillian also has has written some other music for other podcasts and in in the like beginning of 2020 I had you know I had some some Patreon money coming in every month and wasn't really doing anything with it other than like you know mostly spending it on other people's Patreons but I was like okay you know what would be cool for this show is if I had theme music and you know who writes theme music for podcasts and who I think likes me probably is Lillian Boyd I'm just gonna email her and see what she says <laughs> and I I was like hey is this something you'd be interested in doing and she was like yes absolutely this is and I was like okay here I don't understand music here is some word salad and the the foley that I have done previously which I want to be incorporated in some way uh here is some money please please make a thing and she did and it it fucks and I can tell you from a secret insider knowledge <laughs> that I have that that process is part of what spurred Lillian to pursue more podcast scoring and now she's pursuing composition and score development as a, an incredible passion which Holy you helped fuck. to seed you helped plant the seed and it has grown into currently a lot of study of John Williams work <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Jurassic Park theme song is being played quite frequently in that atmosphere that's awesome holy shit i had no idea and i love that i love this that for both of us this is what you do for people you have been doing this to people for a hundred episodes incredible i i just wanted like the the single best thing about finishing editing an episode is hitting publish or hitting schedule the second best thing about editing every episode is at the end of the episode, I say, as in the, the outro, and remember, don't self-reject. And then lining that up with the bass hit, like when, when you, you know, like I can't, I'm doing this in, in Audacity, editing a voice file, there's no BPM, I can't quantize it. But when you get that lined up just right, Mm. Just delicious shit the it is the single best thing about editing every episode <laughs> it's just your, every it's, single time it is your well-deserved reward it is my well-deserved reward i mean also like i know a lot of people don't like hearing their voice like recorded and i was kind of meh on my voice as a recorded thing when i started the show uh, i quickly got over that because it's the only way to be a podcaster is to get over that shit or have somebody else edit your show i guess but like even then you're probably going to listen to it a bunch 
uh, I genuinely... So there is so much inertia for me to get over to start editing an episode. Like any other creative thing. Like, you know how it is. When I sit down and actually get my ass in front of the computer, open up Audacity, get the audio going, every single time it is a joy because I'm just bullshitting with an old friend or a new friend for an hour-ish or whatever, and, like, laughing at the same jokes that we said on the recording... Sometimes, numerous times, if I have to, like, catch a weird bit of audio that is, like, will drive me crazy if I don't get it out of there. But, like, it's... Pod, I, every time I finish recording and every time I finish editing an episode, either out loud to my partner or just in my head or, like, to one of my friends online, I will inevitably go, podcasting's really good, actually. It's good when you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some milestones in your podcasting career. Um, There's a lot of them because you have had an incredible podcast over the course of your 100 episodes. Yeah, the Um, most number. The the most, yeah. You've reached the biggest number, so you have the biggest milestones. Um, In 2020, almost a year into doing the podcast, um, the novel coronavirus happened. Oh yeah, that thing. Uh, to us, but just before that, uh, in your last episode recorded before COVID hit the west coast of the United States, um, you recorded episode fourteen in which you were the interview subject. Yeah, that was so. Uh, I I have the uh, distinct pleasure of living in beautiful Oakland, California, uh, a city we all know and love. Uh, And one of my neighbors in this beautiful city that we know and love is Sharon Shu. One of the greatest people to walk the planet Earth um, and custodian of the cutest baby who's ever lived. Incredibly cute baby. Who can count to six now, by the way. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm offended. Uh, I've specifically that's like the feel second that biggest that number born two minutes ago and somehow he's counting six yeah. um so so sharon interviewed you and sharon um is also a podcaster and a lover of books and also the smartest person either of us i think has ever met yeah i think so either of our lives um what was it like being a subject of an interview on your own podcast it was kind of wild like that honestly was the first time I'd been, like, on podcast, like, been interviewed for anything. Uh, Other than, like, you know, randomly getting interviewed by weird right-wing reporters at protests sometimes. in in... Everybody's favorite treat. Yep. Uh, And and telling them things about, like, wealth inequality and whatever. But, like... (laughs) My favorite example of that is the gotcha right-wing journalist who went to a pride parade and asked someone how many genders are there and the answer he got was i don't know i just got here (laughs) (laughs) beautiful but like yeah the 
like, I cannot believe I had the luck to live near enough to Sharon to have her on as, to interview me. Like, it was such a treat to do that and felt like, it felt like such a milestone to, one, to turn the tables on myself, and two, like, that was, that was episode 14, uh, I, the podcast had just turned one year old, and it was, like, such a, it felt like such a momentous thing that I was like, I have to do something to celebrate this, and I've got our good friend Sharon right here, and, like, we had just done, we just recorded with her, uh, being on the show for episode 10, I think, 11 something uh just pretty recently before i thought this was the first in a long line of getting to have like live podcast interviews happen uh turns out but it was it was such a fun thing and it was so much fun to like it was so much fun and also terrifying to realize like Oh, this is what it feels like to be asked all these questions. Like, actually, <laughs> the, the interviewer's the job is so tabled. much easier. <laughs> so yeah, you you were amped because this was going to be the first of like a regular and thrilling new horizon of in person interviews, and then it, that fuck didn't you, happen. Uh, <laughs> in person everything is off the table and uh we of course entered our 2020 lockdown period during which you started running shelter in place special episodes yeah i i felt this weird sense of responsibility for my like capital c community of like other writers, other creatives, other podcast people to do more content. And honestly, I didn't have any content. That's another one of those words that feels gross to say. Uh, but like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't like, we couldn't leave the house because there was also that responsibility to my capital and lowercase c community. And I had a microphone and I was just going to use it. And like, I kind of figured like, oh, you know, I have, I have a bunch of things in my trunk that I can do like fun little, you know, I, I recorded my first, uh, one of my first stories that made like a big impact, uh, in terms of getting high profile rejections to me. Uh, and had a bunch of like random little flash things and I thought, you know, oh, this is this is just a, a fun little thing. Uh you know, we we only need this for a couple of a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> and uh it that didn't turn out to be the case. Uh but it also wasn't like I found that doing two episodes a month was not that much different than doing one episode a month. 
uh, and in some ways was easier because it just made it a more regular thing. Like, yeah, every two weeks I'm getting an episode out the door, and that's in some ways just, like, it's it was the only practice I could keep up, you know? Like, I couldn't go to my martial arts dojo in person. We eventually started doing it over Zoom, but, like, there wasn't anything I could do but I could do this thing. And it was like, it was that or play Animal Crossing more. Which does have, it does have its benefits. It does uh, have But its maybe benefits. not as many capital C community <laughs> benefits. <laughs> yeah. That year, you also, during the summer of 2020, which was in its own way, incredibly intense, both oh my God. for our capital, lowercase C communities, um, I feel like summer of 2020 was a reckoning on many scales mm -hmm. and you aired an episode that June called pride in place that yeah. I want to hear more about the thought process behind and, and the reception of, because it was such a thoughtful and intentional move to make. Yeah. I, so remember at the start of lockdown, when when it was being announced that lockdowns would happen and uh conservative assholes were talking about how they were being oppressed because they couldn't scream at customer service people or whatever and people who actually face any sort of oppression were saying bitch please and then, as lockdown continued, Pride got canceled, you know? It, I, I live right across the bay from San Francisco, like, arguably the biggest Pride in the world. And we weren't crying about it, because, like, as a community, we know what an epi epidemic looks like, what a pandemic looks like and what oppression looks like and like 2020 was the year that like trans so many people's genders and trans my gender in specific <laughs> yeah uh and it felt really like and I, I think I've talked about this on the show before but like the book that trans my gender more than any other single thing is Mayaka Bobby's Gender Queer, most banned booked in the US, incredibly intensely personal, important book, and like just intensely important to me, uh, and probably would be even if it hadn't trans my gender, because it's just like an incredible work. But like, because of that, I was thinking about like, I'm not the only person who saw something of myself, of my gender and sexuality, in writing. And, like, was able to discover things about myself because of that. And I really wanted to do something for Pride, for our community, capital C, lowercase c, uh, that that reflected that, and it seemed like the, you know, even 
I, I had like three or four uh, short essays on there and that I, I got submissions from both friends and from people around the community. And I really just wanted to like, you know, I wanted to make that space to say like, to say you're not alone, to say like, this is, this is a meaningful thing for so many people. Uh, and it's something I've thought about a whole lot and have thought about like, I should do that again at some point. And I just haven't because like, that's, you know how hard it is to submit, uh, to, to make a call for submissions for work. You've, you've done that it's a couple so of times. It's so hard. It's so much work. And it's so scary because what if you make the call for submissions and no one submits? I had that happen. Uh, I'm not going to say which call for submissions this was because I managed <sighs> to scramble around and hustle up enough people to kind of hopefully cover up the fact that no one submitted. But I, ha I put out a call for submissions. I got no responses. And the feeling of it is like oh, I've announced my intention to do this thing very mm -hmm. publicly. And now I need to stretch myself a little deeper into my community. And instead of, you know, making an announcement, come all of you come to me. Instead, I have to go to people where they are and, yeah. and reach a little harder. And that's, again, it's frightening, especially for people with, with anxiety, like me and you, who are like mm -hmm. trying our hardest not to represent an imposition into anyone else's life ever right. of any kind. Um, which is a very healthy and sustainable way to try and live your life. My therapist uh, might or might not be listening to this episode. And if <laughs> you are, Kate, you didn't hear shit. Um, <laughs> but, but you have stretched yourself in that way deeper into your community, even without um, open submission calls, through yeah. your book tour feature. Um, oh, yeah. You started doing this. Uh, in February of 2021. Yeah, with a an author. Um, oh, was the, uh, Sarah Gailey, I think. Doesn't ring a bell. Sounds like a nobody. Yeah. Um, no, on on my episode where I I came on to promote the Echo Wife, and I think I remember. Do I remember this right? That I was talking to you, and I was like. I don't have anything in the trunk for this, but can I just do, can I just come talk to you anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And like it, once again, the hits keep coming because we collaborate. We stop, we just, collaborate and listen. <laughs> All of that. That's the order of operations. Yeah. Um, and after that episode, you continued this in a feature that you eventually, um, in the 15th installment of it with Maya McGregor promoting the many half lived lives of Sam Sylvester, you named your book tour feature. Yeah. And tell me about how it felt to lay claim to that, to your podcast as a tool that people can use to promote their upcoming work. It's one of my favorite things. Like this podcast writ large is one of my favorite things I've ever done. Uh, doing that and eventually leaning into being like, you know what, this isn't like, this isn't the shelter in place thing anymore. And finally renaming it to just be book tour every single time felt really like, 
you know, this is this is 2021. We don't quite have the vaccines aren't in in wide circulation yet, and like virtual book tour things are kind of happening. But like, I know so many people whose debuts got fucking wrecked by the pandemic, and that sucks. It sucks so bad, and I used to love going to book tour events like catch me going to I think every one of your book events in San Francisco like anytime Mary Robinette Coal came through the city uh Michelle Baker you know all these incredible people and I thought like hey you know I have I I I did this book tour with you kind of just like spur of the moment uh, and then I was like, hey, actually, this is an easier thing to do than just coming up with a random thing every single, every single month for my off episode. There's the cat robot. <laughs> this has become, this has become a staple of your work in community. And this is just like talking about Trunked stories is something that authors hate talking about and we approach with intense shame um, <laughs> and we shouldn't. We feel the same way about promoting our work. You mm -hmm. want to be able to release your work and say nothing about it to anyone and it becomes a huge sensation just by virtue of its excellence. And of course, that is not how anything works. You have to Sadly. bang pots and pans together for like years to get people to pay attention. And as someone who released four books <laughs> under lockdown mm, that sounds fake it is real i because i i'm i'm disabled immunocompromised so my family stayed locked down for yeah. a really long time we're only just kind of sort of figuring out how to go places and do things with intense caution and i released um upright women wanted when we were magic the echo wife and just like home all under conditions of not being able to go and tour and do events and promote in person oh, fuck, and it's that's true yeah i've aged like 40 years from that <laughs> it is so difficult to keep finding new ways to talk about your work in the same online spaces to try and mm -hmm. keep visibility in the air without just saying over and over again i have a book coming out yeah please please tell people um, and so you end up doing a lot of events online and a lot of guest, guest appearances on podcasts and newsletters and things. And a lot of them are just like, I don't know, just say something, just say something. And I can testify from incredibly <laughs> exhausted experience that guesting on Tales from the Trunk is one of the highlights of a virtual book promotion experience because you put thought and care and genuine profound interest into oh, the interview you. that you're doing it becomes a celebration of the work instead of just an opportunity to say it's coming out yeah. <laughs> please please tell people <laughs> yeah i mean like the thing there just was like one it kind of seemed like a natural thing to do like i have you know, I have this microphone, I have this space, uh, and, like, 
authors do be putting out books. And I really want authors to keep being able to put out books. And so that means they have to sell them. Uh, and like, I'm, I'm terrible at self-promotion, especially in this September of the year of our Lord 2023, where Twitter is no longer a viable option for anything. Like, I don't know how to sell things, but, uh, for, for myself, but I fucking love talking about other people's shit. And, and I have a gimmick. I have a gimmick that is very easy. It's like, I present it as being the easiest thing in the world. It's two questions. What are you sad that you had to trunk from this thing that does exist and you can buy? What thing are you hyped for people to find out about? And, like, and that turns out, frankly, incredible conversations. And, like, and it's just, you know, we talk about Tumblr as being the liking media website. This is, this is the liking media podcast. This is the liking your own book podcast. And, like, if I, you know, if I can't make you like your own book then I guess I wouldn't put an episode out because uh, that would be, like, kind of painful. But I haven't run into that problem yet. That's such a gift that you give people, especially... Uh, the, this is a, one of my cranky opinions. I think that the the way academic media criticism has bled into fan and reader spaces gets a little dicey sometimes for authors because a lot of mm -hmm. interviews will say hey here's a shortcoming that i noticed in your work explain why you did it that way mm. and and it makes it hard that. to love your own work it makes it hard to like this you know you kind of turn into like a pageant mom who's constantly mm -hmm. like well your teeth aren't white enough and you're not standing up straight enough and your curls aren't bouncy enough and you give an opportunity for authors to say wow, I really love this thing I made. Yeah. And that's a huge gift for you to give people. I, I love authors. I love all the weird little guys and the weird little things they do. And like, so I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again uh, because it's, it's funny and it's worth telling. My dad is the first fan of Lois McMaster Bujold because he was slushing for I don't remember what magazine uh, back in the in the mid eighties, uh, sometime before I existed, and he was uh, separating the manuscripts which would get mailed back back in the day. Uh, from their cover letters and tossing the cover letters and mailing the manuscripts back. And he, uh, this, this short story crossed his desk and, you know, boring job, just kind of glance over the cover letters as, as you go. Um, and like, he also had a say in terms of like, you know, this story had already been rejected, but he could always, try to make a case to the editor, like, actually, no, this whoops ass. 
which he didn't do about this story. He was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I trust the other slushers that they've, they made the right call on this. But he read this cover letter and he said to himself, this is the greatest cover letter I've ever read. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. This author is going places. And he stuck that cover letter, he like date stamped it, stuck it into a plastic sleeve, took it home. Still has that cover letter. Years, some years later, probably early 90s, uh, when, you know, the Varkosigan books start coming out and Lotz McMaster Bujold is a name now, he goes to uh, a convention that she's at with this cover letter and he takes it up to her and he says, I was your first fan. And like, if that doesn't make you believe in telling authors that their shit is good, I don't know what does. And like, it, that's a thing that has always stuck with me. Uh, and I, I've read the cover letter too. It's, it's genuinely a good cover letter. Uh, I, I don't remember the text of it now, but, you know, I could find it probably. I think I've scanned it at some point. But, like, that's the, like, that's the enthusiasm that authors deserve for their work. And, like, you know, and, and there's, I've, I've been seeing some more discourse lately uh maybe related to strike stuff maybe not related to strike stuff just it's in the air of people not believing that art is labor and like fuck that noise like so i just feel like people should be celebrated for their work and should get to celebrate their work i i love that you bring that ethos to the production of a podcast where you get to engage with authors about their work. I love that you're bringing the perspective of this is labor and deserves to be celebrated and admired. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk about some of the authors whose work you've celebrated and admired. Yeah. So let's hit, uh, first of all, you already mentioned your first stranger guest, the first <laughs> guest who was not uh, already an existing buddy of yours, who you uh, were tapping in through like DMs and texts, but instead... Yeah. KB Wagers, uh, episode 12, that's February 21st of 2020, again in the just, ooh, right on the cusp of the world Wild fall stuff happening there. Came on for an episode um, featuring the story Reluctant Heroes. What were, what was going through your mind as you went into this recording? And I also want to know if anything stands out as a, a takeaway from that episode for you. I was shitting myself going into that recording because I, <laughs> this was the first time I was talking to like not a known person and like even, you know, Val vouched for them, but that's also like, it. it's hard not to remember 90s internet stranger danger, even if I'm not like going to a, a place and meeting a person, I was like, Am I going to have any sort of chemistry with with this person? Uh, have have I just been like riding on the fact that I know these people for all the previous episodes? What's going to happen? Turns out I actually know how to make a podcast. Uh, 
that was like that was the biggest takeaway for me was like actually no you do know how to do this and like even even if you are feeling just kind of meh when you go into re a recording for any reason at all you can still make this thing happen and still turn out something that you're going to be proud of uh i also just remember that like if you want a masterclass in how fight scenes are written, read literally any of Katie's work. Like, they know their shit both from a craft standpoint and also, like, as a martial artist. Uh, and they bring just fantastic energy. Written fight scenes are so hard, and every time I read an author who knows how to handle... A written fight scene i'm just like study time i'm there yeah. with my highlighter and my little sticky tabs and <laughs> taking mm -hmm. notes uh almost a year later you had recorded episode 23 which aired on january 15th 2021 starring fran wild and her story how sentient kudzu solved the cryptos k4 code and how the cia covered it up a revolution in four parts fucking incredible story by the way listeners if you haven't listened to that episode go back and take a listen fran was an absolute like one of my first like dream authors who when i when i came up with this podcast uh i did a number of things and one of the first things i did was i made a spreadsheet about it uh which the i only I learned... way to begin I learned a lot about making a spreadsheet about things from you, from the way <laughs> that you outlined River of Teeth. Um, and, like, that has taught me so much. Uh, but, yeah, made a spreadsheet about it, and I just put, like, a bunch of wish list guests on there, and right at the top of, like, I don't know this person, I'm, you know, vaguely connected with them, want to have them on the show... Fran Wild, the thing about Fran that, like, one, she's just an incredible author. Absolutely incredible. Two is she got her MFA from the same school that I got my BA from. And, like, the number of people in history who have gone to Warren Wilson College for any degree is vanishingly small because it is a tiny, tiny college. And any person who I could talk to who also knew just like how special that place was, I like, I needed that to happen. And, and I just like for several months just kind of asked around people and was like, are you are you connected with Fran well enough that you could make this happen and finally got it to happen and like and she went and got her MFA with my fucking advisor oh my gosh like unbelievable unbelievable it was like it was a it was a dream come true and it was also like the first place where I was like okay, yeah, actually, like, you can do this. You can get, like, you can have a get on your show. Yes. 
yeah, you can have a get. And was there anything from that episode that changed you as a writer or as a podcaster? Honestly, the thing that changed me the most from that episode was realizing that I could, in fact, be normal with writers in a way that, like, like that, that in some ways was my they're just weird little guys just like me moment. Um, where it was just like, oh, yeah, actually, you know, even if we didn't have this frankly, fairly tenuous because our degrees were separated in level and by, like, over a decade connection. Like, Fran is, you know, Fran is just like every other writer in that Fran is, is you know, working on these same things, constantly working to level up her craft, constantly, you know, going after the same things and has the same insecurities as everybody else and has trunked work that's the thing everybody has trunked work and everybody and that's one of the beautiful points of connectivity that i think your podcast draws is that authors who are just starting out and coming onto your podcast to promote their very first published piece and authors who are established and who to you feel like a huge reach to even talk to have stories that they have said well can't do anything with this Yep. And that's that's an incredibly uniting thing. Yeah. Um, someone who I never would have guessed had trunked work um, ever in my life, but who was on your show more recently, was the legendary, magnificent Chuck Tingle. I uh, cannot um, believe. I cannot believe. Like, and you've also interviewed Chuck. You know, like... Chuck has, has been a fixture in the scene for since puppy times, which feels impossibly long ago. And for years, it was so easy to just kind of, like, write him off. Because, like, I know I did. I feel shitty about it. But, like, that's just everybody was kind of like, oh, yeah, weird meme porn. And he's actually, like the fucking real deal he is 100% genuine and has a deeper commitment to radical praxis than anyone i've spoken to ever in my life yeah um, like and you had him on for book tour episode 29 um in july of 2023 promoting camp damascus which is his <laughs> mainstream novel debut Stepping stepping from e short erotica, self-published, yep. into traditional publishing. Um, and being on your podcast was part of his journey into traditional publishing. Yeah. How did you welcome him? How did you welcome him into this world? I welcomed him on before we started recording. I was like, hey, Chuck, I'm freaking out about this. Like, I have been bouncing off the walls for the last half hour in wait mode. Like, so I just want to let you know that I'm trying to be as normal as possible about this. <laughs> and like, 
some of this came through on the show because we we were just like okay we're gonna go for this and and record some of this because like real shit people need to know is like we're autistic people and we have uh it's so hard not to be infected by the way that chuck talks because like it's just so unique and wonderful like we have a way we have our own trots and those are so fucking important and like the the whole experience of recording with him was like this constant reevaluation of like we all we always say in a negative way like if somebody tells you who they are believe them but we never extend that to people who are telling you that they're a genuine good person because as a society we're just so fucking cynical and like any anybody who claims to be good is hiding something right like but the way that chuck is and the way that like i got sent an arc of camp damascus uh which is like still a wild thing to me that I am now a person who gets physical arcs of things that are addressed to me. Like, not just, like, my dad's reviewer friends giving us arcs of things that, that they know that my dad will like, but, like, me getting book mail from Macmillan Publishing Group is buck-fucking-wild. And, like reading through that book and being like oh like this is this is all serious art this always always has been serious art and like this is what chuck has been telling us from the beginning like in in no way is camp damascus any more or less sincere than space raptor butt invasion yes yeah and and all of this all of this work is meaningful to him and he has been driving and motivating that work with that internally generated meaning this whole time yes um absolutely incredible yeah yeah there's one other guest who uh has been incredibly important to your podcast a repeating guest um who appeared in May of 2021, February of 2022, and November of 2022, um, RJ Theodore, also yeah. known as our late friend, Rekka. Yeah, um, who unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago, uh, which is like just gutting to the entire community. Uh, they touched so many people's lives and were so important for so many people. Um, and they were so important to this show. Like, they were a backbone of this show in the same way that you've been a backbone to this show of giving such sincere encouragement and energy to it from day one um they through their three episodes 
talked about the process that the Paradise Shift trilogy took from being a small press published trilogy that never got finished because uh, because the press ended up closing down to coming back in a second edition under the uh, Robot Dinosaur Press uh, self-publishing collective label. And like, their energy was the energy that I always want to bring to this podcast. Their commitment to the writing community, no matter who you are, is like my guiding star. And the way that like, you know, the, the thing that I've always told myself about this show is that this show is never too big for anybody. This show is always going to have space for new voices, for up-and-coming voices, because if I'm not doing that, then what's the point? I should quit the podcast, you know? Um, and that was, like, that's the thing they did. They were... Uh, a municipal liaison for their region for NaNoWriMo every year. They were active on social media, lifting so many people up and um, giving so many people voices, giving, giving their voice to so many projects, all the short fiction that they did, all the work they did behind the scenes for Robot Dinosaur Press, all the work they did on We Make Books and their other previous podcasts. And, like, they invited me on to We Make Books a couple of times as well. Um, and getting to talk to, to them and Kalen on there was just as much... Uh, just as much a joy as having them on my show as just like popping into their DMs to say hi. Um, they were a really special person and uh, listeners, you should you should check out those episodes. You should check out their books, their short stories. Um, you know, say a prayer for them if that's the thing that you do because uh, they're special. That's episode 27 uh, with their story, Cast Off, a shelter-in-place episode, a shelter-in-place number 23 from February 4th of 2022, and episode 45 from November of 2022 with their story, Flotsam. Yeah. We miss you, Rekka. We miss you so much, Rekka. We love you so much. I'm, I am so glad that they were able to be on the show, and I'm... I think that the imprint of their character is on the show and is in in that ethos that you bring, that the show is never too big. And also no person is ever too big yeah. for this show because no person is ever too big. Hmm, let me try that again. 
because no person is ever too big for connection to the community that you develop and support. Um, and this show is never too big to offer that support because that's yeah. not how support works. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. let's, let's end on uh, an eyeball to the future. What, what is coming for Tales from the Trunk? Yeah. Uh, so coming up, um, obviously the future is very much in flux and uh, a lot of guests, even for the rest of 2023, it's 2023, right? Somehow. Somehow. Uh, are still up in the air, but next month we are welcoming back uh, once again Caitlin Starling to the show. Uh, her brand new book, uh, Last to Leave the Room, which comes out in mid-October, is terrifying and fantastic and amazing uh, and uh, has has some uh, has some things to say uh, in in tandem with a book that has been on this show previously in a book tour. Uh, listen in to find out which one. Uh, and in November, I'm gonna be talking about like getting names. I'm gonna be talking to Martha Wells. Woo! author of the Murderbot Diaries, among other things, because uh, her new book in Murderbot series, System Collapse, is coming out in November. Uh, and, like, Murderbot is back, baby! <laughs> that is going to be a hell of a conversation. Yeah. Um, Martha Wells is staggeringly brilliant and has a terrifying amount of... <laughs> deep crevasses in her brain that I cannot wait for you to plumb. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of numbers after a hundred, a hundred is the biggest number, but there's a lot of other ones that come after it. And I can't wait to see where you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really proud of what the show has become and, uh, has, has been since the beginning, honestly. And I can't wait to, see where the next hundred takes us right back to a hundred the biggest number all the way back um i also i'm so sorry we might have to cut uh this section i just got some weird uh noise oh shit uh interference in the background on my end i don't know if it came through on your end but this it's a, this really loud warbly sound and actually i I don't know if you if you heard kind of a crunch, but this huge blue uh, police telephone box just showed up in the room that I'm recording in. Um, oh, shit, the podcast room? Yeah, the podcast room. And I, I'm just going to real quick um, step away from the Zoom that we're recording over to take a step inside. If you want to come with me, we can go maybe back in time um, ah. to talk about advice that you'd like to offer to your past self, um, any regrets you have about the show or things you'd like to have done differently or just things that you want to tell we baby 2019 Hillary. Um, yeah. I mean, I, in some ways the biggest regret I have about this show is not doing it sooner because it's like, 
while at the same time recognizing that I could not have made this show any sooner because making this show was the culmination of all the things that I had become up to that point. And, like, I don't know if, you know, a, a year or two sooner I would have been the same, the right person to make this podcast yet. But, like, it is important to, like, for me to say, like, do the damn thing. Like, that is, that is such an important thing. And, like, you don't know, you don't know without trying for, for any of it. The, like, practically, I would say, one, like, you can, you can, Definitely streamline your editing process, my guy, my dude. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there are some things you could do to make that a little bit easier on yourself. Uh, and, but also just like, oh, don't, don't beat yourself up about any of it. Cause like, we're all growing, we're all doing, we're all working our way towards the thing. Um, and I, I, more than that, I would just say like, whew believe believe in yourself like uh jesus i'm such a fake philly philly sports fan fourth and 27 believe if if that's not right the show notes will show what i actually meant to say but like eagles fans <laughs> from from a certain age will know uh but like you just you just gotta go for it you just gotta you go just... for it and like and don't be afraid to be the person you are. Don't be afraid to like the things you like. And don't be afraid to uh, come up with an extremely cheesy bit for episode one and keep doing it 100 episodes later. That's where, that's where the treasure of this trunk lives. It is. It's all in the bits. It's all what? in the bit. Commitment to the bit. Hillary, thank you so much for talking to me for this, your 100th episode. I am so incredibly amazed by what you've done and what you've made with this podcast. I'm so honored to get to be part of it and sharing it and celebrating it with you. Um, yeah, thank friends, you. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. The theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show get a sticker and logo button along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Tumblr at trunkcast, and you can connect with Hillary online at hbbiceniax. You can also find me, Sarah Gailey, at at Sarah Gailey on most social media platforms that are still existing. alive. Yeah. If you like the show, take a moment, rate and review on your preferred podcast platform. Tell your friends. Um, this is a podcast that is about community and spreads through community. So help it get out there. And remember, don't self-reject.